You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I am CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and we are so excited today to be talking to a nephrology billing and coding expert, Kristen Pote. Welcome, Kristen. Hello, CJ. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to, to talk to you and kind of pick your brain a little bit on, on coding and billing with nephrology. It's a really unique specialty. And I think there's some, some unique things that our listeners will, will love to hear. There's probably some also common themes that are common across a lot of specialties too. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kristen, one thing that we like our uh, guests to do is just briefly, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got into coding and billing, how long you've been doing it and, and anything else you feel comfortable sharing. Sure. Um, so I graduated uh, with an RHIT, which is Registered in Health Information Technology um, certification, everything. Kind of started low man on the totem pole with just data entry stuff. Right. And um, once they caught on that I was a quick learner and, you know, just really loved what I do and I'm a hard worker and everything, I, I moved up pretty fast. So I went from data entry to coding to auditing to leadership um, between two different companies. So, um, as far as nephrology goes though, nephrology was a new, uh, specialty to the company that I had been working for previously. And, um, nobody really knew much about it or the ins and outs of what was going on. They knew it was kind of have some funky little billing nuances. And so it was kind of just thrown at me like, Hey, Kristen, figure this out. You're, you're good at this kind of thing. So that's exactly what I did. I, I, uh, built really good relationships with the, uh, the MDs and I, with the staff, the leadership there, um, and really grew that, um, that specialty auditing, um, at that company. And so, um, after that, I had, uh, an actual nephrology company approach me and say, Hey, we like what you do. Um, we really want you here. And the rest is kind of history. I, um, have been at this company now for a little over two years and I'm growing their auditing and compliance program, totally revamped it from what it was when I first started. Um, and it's just really given me even more experience in nephrology and learning the ins and outs and, um, just all the crazy things that come up. Um, you know, I, I really learned to tackle them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, um, one of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for today, maybe we can can start here before we get into some specific questions is, you know, when Medicare was created so long ago, you know, a lot of us think of Medicare as, you know, for people over 65, which is true, but there were early provisions in the Medicare program for, for coverage for uh, individuals suffering from end-stage renal disease. And so I'm just kind of curious, you know, do most of the scenarios that you're working with, are they almost all Medicare patients or is that an accurate statement or tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I would say that's an accurate statement. We have a pretty high population of Medicare, Medicaid patients. Um, we do have some private payers, but most of the time when we're auditing, um, doing you know anything related to that, um, coding billing, it, it's mostly um, related to CMS, following CMS guidelines. We're, we're very familiar with CMS. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Absolutely. Yes. Well, that's cool. So maybe we can, you know, a lot of our listeners are coders and compliance folks and um, and I, I thought I would ask you, you know, in your vast experience, what are some of the most common coding and billing errors that you see in nephrology uh, and in that specialty? Sure. Well, I've got um, three, namely. Um, first one is medical decision making, which is kind of funny to me. I run across this quite frequently. And even though I've been here for two and a half years, I, I'm still running into this problem. Um, it's medical decision making. Um, I find that our nephrologists uh, very often undervalue their services due to rep repetition. They're right. doing this day in and day out. They're consistently managing highly complex medical conditions like end-stage renal disease and acute kidney injury, which on the medical decision-making chart actually equate out to organ failure, obviously. Right. That's um, right. So that's just, it's so routine to them that they kind of end up undervaluing their services and bill lower because they just think that they see this day in and day out. It's not that complicated. It right. actually is in the billing and coding world. So um, yeah, making those high complexity decision decisions in conjunction with patients, caregivers, families, all the work that goes into um, prepping patients for dialysis and for transplants and everything, right. that's high level stuff. So I, I feel like nephrologists, um, again, quite often uh, undervalue themselves and as far as medical decision-making goes. Yeah. You know, on medical decision-making, that's a, that's a good point because as you mentioned, you know, uh, it's organ failure, and then there's a lot of complications that often go with kidney failure. Um, you know, uh, oh, yeah. that, that these other things that that are common complications with with those kinds of patients. But let me ask you on that a little bit. Are there some uh, end state, you know, some visits that are uh, maybe more routine? So, for example, I'll use an example that I, I've used from um, uh, oncology a lot. So, people who have cancer, um, you know, that's a pretty severe condition. However, some of them may be under, may, may be controlled at the moment that you're seeing them. And it might not be as acute as, you know, as you get closer to end of life or you're trying to diagnose things and that, this and that. Do you see any of those kind of parallels? Even though these are high risk patients, some might be more controlled. And so the medical decision might, medical decision making might not always be super high or is, is that not the case? No, I absolutely agree. It's it's very much in line with patients who have cancer. Um, with end-stage renal disease in particular, um, when the patient is progressing from four to five to end-stage renal, when they make that end-stage renal disease diagnosis, then they're looking at the long-term options. They're looking at transplants. They're looking at dialysis. When they have that like main visit to make all those big decisions and, you know, do all that extra management and everything, all the phone calls, all the outreach, um, that's when I considered that visit to be high level medical decision-making. But if you're just following up on an end-stage renal disease patient who's overall stable, Right. You know, they may have end-stage renal disease and they may have complications, but nothing is exacerbated at the moment. No, that's not high-level billing. Right. Um, same with AKI. AKI can um, 
AKIs can come and go. They can be more acute, like acute injury, acute kidney injury, AKI. Um, They can be acute, acute, but they can also linger a little bit. So when they're lingering, I don't necessarily count them as high medical decision-making, especially like an office Um, follow-up. Patients are usually admitted to the hospital when they have AKIs. And by the time they're seen in the office, they may still have that AKI, but it's not for lack of a better term, it's not as fresh. It's not yeah. as you know, yeah. acute. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, that that's helpful, I think. Um, what other, I didn't mean to kind of cut you off from your other areas. You mentioned potentially three different things. You oh, yes, yes. Decision-making. Any others that you wanted to talk about? Um, dialysis services billing, which is, this is where it gets kind of hairy. And this is where I hit the learning curve. Um, and I'm still hitting the learning curve. I'm always going back to my guidelines and trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong. Cause sometimes I feel like sure. I'm missing the mark. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the most common codes that are used in nephrology, um, namely adult nephrology are 90960, 90961 and 90962, which are bundled monthly payments for end-stage renal disease services based on how many times the patient is seen by the physician or the APP. Um, so without tight documentation turnaround and savvy billing staff and coders and even reliable systems to help aid in keeping track of visits, dialysis services can get messy very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember before I went to medical school, you know, we're always, the students are always trying to do like volunteer and get exposure to the clinical world. And I uh, volunteered at the dialysis center. This was many, many years ago. Um, but I just found it so fascinating uh, of uh, those services. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about, so some of our listeners may know there's some different kinds of dialysis and, and maybe you know which ones are more common, but there's hemodialysis where essentially, and I'll simplify and you can you can fill in the details, you know, there, the blood is taken out, it's sent through a machine to clean and it's put back in. And then there's, and that's usually done at a center or some sort of clinic, but then there's also um, peritoneal dialysis. I don't know if that's as common anymore nowadays, but that is something that you typically do at home. Could you talk about those two or maybe just clarify if one is not even really done anymore? Yeah, so both of them are done. Um, there are different billing codes for each. Um, there and there's, you know, they're they're the same type of dialysis, but as far as billing and everything goes, they they are a little separated. There's um, we go by PD or HD. Um, sometimes the PD they call CCPD, um, which is continuous renal replacement therapy. Okay. Um, so mostly we see the HD though. That's the ones that is the uh, dialysis that's done in the centers. And right. um, that's only a few hours at a time versus the PD, which is a more continuous, um, like you're hooked up to the machine longer um, yeah. continuously. So um, yeah, we see HT much more, much more commonly than PD. That's good to know, but there are separate codes for each of those types of uh, yes, there are separate codes. Um, the especially for inpatient, there's nine zero nine three five, nine zero nine three seven for HD, and nine zero nine four five, nine zero nine four seven for PD. Um, and again, those the interchanges in the codes are just based on how many times the patient is seen while on dialysis. Uh, okay, so if a patient is actually doing, and does does do a lot of PD or peritoneal dialysis patients still do that at home, like maybe overnight or something? Is that? Um, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I I don't really see that as commonly. It's it's more okay. HD. 
Yep. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious. So these codes are more the number of visits the doctor sees a patient who's having that kind of dialysis. It's not necessarily we did dialysis on this day. And so we report that code or, or is that not correct? It's usually um, when the physician or the APP must see the patient while on dialysis. Gotcha. Um, in the inpatient setting, if they do not see the patient while on dialysis, they have to bill just a regular uh, hospital visit code. Your nine nine two two. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that that's helpful. That that clarifies things for me. Um, awesome. And then uh, you said there may be a third one with kind of common coding and billing. Errors. Yes. Um, this is transitional care management, which is not something that you usually think of when you think of um, nephrology. But uh, due to changes in CMS guidelines that took place in 2020, um, TCM is now a billable service for end-stage renal disease patients. It used to um, bump up against the dialysis codes. They weren't able to be pulled together, but now they can be. Um, So this opens up a huge window of opportunity for nephrology billing, but it also comes with compliance risks. Uh, The most prevalent errors we're seeing with this is that the patients are often readmitted to the hospital, especially being um, end-stage renal disease patients. They're very sick. They they are in and out of the hospital frequently. Um, That kind of throws a wrench in billing as TCM comes with a 30-day time period to work with. Um, So it's it's a transition, pun intended, for nephrology. learning how to bill for TCM compliantly, making sure that we're keeping all the guidelines um, in mind when we're billing. But it's also a really great opportunity for us because um, a lot of times, uh, you know, transitional care management, you have to see the patient um, within seven or 14 days after discharge from the hospital. Usually the patients are going to dialysis, you know, the day after being discharged, maybe two, three days after. So it's a really good chance for nephrology to catch the patient while in the center and um, get on top of that TCM billing first um, before any other specialty is able to get to it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, you kind of mentioned centers and places where dialysis and these other things occur. Are those typically billed like with a place of service 11, which like, you know, the outpatient clinic or are these hospital outpatient departments or maybe both? Uh, for the dialysis clinics? Yeah. Those are place of service 65. Okay. So there's a unique place of service for dialysis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good to know. Okay. So um, I appreciate that. The, I also wanted to ask, you know, in, in our world as coders and billers and compliance, right? We often focus on what's in the medical record, right? That's, that's kind of our, our foundation for, you know, reviews and compliance audits and those sorts of things. Do you have any tips or thoughts on some of the most important medical re- medical record documentation activities to be to be cognizant of with nephrology? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just, I mean, this is just an any scope. Um, in the in the practice that I worked with previously, I was doing multi specialty um, coding, auditing, whatnot, and it, it rings true for nephrology too. Um, just practice defense defensible documentation. Right. Um, you know, it, it goes back to the uh, 
coined phrase in our uh, field is if it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. That's nephrology is no exception. Um, I always encourage our physicians to become allies with their billers, coders, auditors, because they'll give you a leg up when it comes to documentation, tips and tricks that will not only save you time, but can save you a headache in case of an audit. So defensible documentation is number one tip. Um, Second one would be to clearly state diagnoses and dialysis notes. Um, It's kind of funny, which it makes sense um, outside of compliance person's mind, but many nephrology providers think that it's implied when you're seeing a patient on dialysis that they have end-stage renal disease, which is, is not necessarily true. The diagnosis must always be clearly stated in the documentation for that date of service, regardless of whether it's common knowledge. Gotcha. The, uh, the last one is just to clearly identify whether the patient was seen while on dialysis, which is something that we talked about uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, this would relate to the inpatient setting. Um, this is another kind of silly one, but it's, it's very common. There aren't very, very many documentation requirements for 90935 and 90937, which is the hemodialysis and the PD. Okay. Um, but it's crucial to clearly communicate that the patient was seen while on dialysis. Otherwise, we have to bill for those other hospital codes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking with, with, um, with documentation, you kind of tell me if maybe this isn't a large percentage, but you know, there are end stage renal disease, which is typically kind of a progressive disease, right? And it's usually the result of some sort of other condition. Like somebody might have diabetes for many years, or they might have lupus, which is an autoimmune condition or other conditions that kind of damage the kidneys over time. And so there's probably a staging uh, criteria, but then there's also work that I'm assuming nephrologists are doing, as you mentioned, kind of acute kidney injuries, but sometimes people go on dialysis temporarily, right? Like if they had some sort of trauma or some sort of issue, they might be in the hospital, they might be getting dialysis. And then occasionally they don't need long-term dialysis and they might not be end-stage renal disease patients. And so I think to your point about talking about what's the diagnosis, even though people might be assuming it's clear is really important. Is that, is what I've described kind of accurate? Do you see that type of thing in the medical record? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. The, whether the patient is acute um, air quotes or whether they're end-stage renal disease um, that's, that's kind of how we differentiate between the two, the AKIs and their, they're the end-stage renal disease patients. Um, There's different codes, there's different processes, um, it, it's really important to specify which one in the documentation, even though it's, it is kind of implied, but as far as documentation goes, it just, it has to be flat out stated by the um, yeah. provider. Yeah. Yep. Do you see a lot of just like from a, from a practice standpoint or efficiency standpoint, do most nephrologists, and, and this probably just varies depending on the practice, but do most nephrologists choose their own codes or do they, do they, you know, uh, rely on coders and, or does that just vary depending on the practice? Um, I'm sure that it varies depending on the practice. The two practices that I worked for, the nephrologists have um, picked their own codes, but again, it's especially for like dialysis billing, it's just based on how many times you see the patient. So it, it's mm-hmm. not too much work that you have to put into it. You just have to count how many times you see the patient or the, or your systems will count for you. You know, there were you know yes. four notes this week or four notes this month, there were three notes this month, you know, it'll equate to uh, what code needs to be filled out for the month. 
Yeah, you know, and you know, we all of us in the in the coding and compliance profession are aware of the the E and M guidelines that that recently changed for a certain subset of codes, right? For um, some of those office based codes, and you know, we're we're preparing for those similar kind of changes in other E and M codes. Did you see any um, major issues as as nephrologists made those? Um, transitions through those new E&M guidelines while still needing to be thinking of, oh, the guidelines may be different for my inpatient population. Um, not really. Actually, actually, it was kind of funny because when I came to this new practice, um, it was right when all the guidelines changed. So right, I had right. to educate all these physicians that I wasn't totally familiar with on the, all these new guidelines and everything. It, it ended up being fine, but it, I really feel like there weren't too many new changes that we had to um, get used to in nephrology. I feel like it was a little bit easier to get to a level four in the outpatient setting. Um, I think that's been our, our biggest hurdle is just um, defining what a level three is versus a level four in the yeah. outpatient setting. Yeah, especially like you were saying before, like if, if physicians are prone to kind of undervalue their services to begin with, because in their minds, it's routine to them, but it's, you know, in reality, these are probably more complex patients. So I see that a lot in other specialty too, specialties too, with that leap from three to four, sometimes people are a little uncomfortable with it. Yes. Yes. I also see the same. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, I've spent a lot of my time as a compliance officer. And so, I, you know, I, though my initial background was in coding and billing and kind of from a clinical background. So I, I did spend some time there, but when you're, when you're not doing it every day, um, you know, you lose some of those details. That's why I was so excited to talk to you because I knew you're, you know, you know the details off the top of your head. But as a compliance officer, we're always looking at, you know, we're trying to manage risks and compliance risks and understand, you know, where should we look? What should we do? And, and we can't always do super deep dive into everything. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on in kind of the nephrology world, are there, are you seeing maybe nationally certain compliance risks? Um, that, that are more common than others in this specialty? Um, the biggest one that I can think of off the top of my head, and I, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I want to necessarily label this as a compliance risk, but yeah. um, value-based care is new to nephrology um, within the past few years. Um, it's a, it's, kind of a, actually it isn't kind of, but it is a, um, <laughs> a uh, initiative that was pushed forward by CMS. Um, there have been nephrology practices across the nation that have been adopted into either mandatory or even voluntarily enlisted in value-based care models um, with CMS. So um, the, whole, the whole purpose is to make sure that nephrologists, dialysis facilities, transplant providers, um, form uh, end-stage renal disease-focused accountable care organizations to manage care for beneficiaries with end-stage renal disease. I'm reading straight from CMS here <laughs> by um, adding financial CMS or financial um, incentives for healthcare providers to manage care for Medicare beneficiaries um, that have either CKD four or five and end-stage renal disease. And this is meant to delay the onset of dialysis and to incentivize kidney kidney transplantation. So this is a whole new um, approach to kidney care. And yeah. where, where am I going with this? Um, in my mind, as a compliance and auditing um, professional, um, anything that's new means that we have a lot of room for mistakes. Exactly. So um, 
that new things kind of scare me a little bit. <laughs> so uh, we run into lack of clarity overall from like CMS, CMMI about requirements and expectations and taking part of these models. So um, I would, I really feel like that's the biggest compliance risk that we're facing right now. Um, to your point about value-based care, that's new for a lot of people in healthcare, right? So, um, you know, we've gone, we've for years and decades, we've been living through this, you know, fee-for-service model, you know, the way you increase revenue is you do more stuff and um, do more procedures or more visits or whatever. And now, you know, this, we're in this, the midst of transitioning, you know, we're not there yet and who knows where it's really going to take us, but these value-based models are kind of a new paradigm. It's a new way of thinking. Um, And sometimes the measures are not what the docs want. And, you know, it, it, the principles and the concepts, I think most people can agree with, but the devil's in the details. And it's like, okay, how do we actually measure that? And what does that actually mean? And to your point about like not feeling like there's really good clarifying regs or uh, clarifications, that can be really frustrating. It can be, especially when, you know, everything that we've been doing previously, you know, there's always um, like educational material out there. There's always something that you can reference and say, okay, this is what happened. This was the outcome. And this is, you know, the rule or guideline or regulation that was made because of it. This is just all so new. We don't have that content yet. Like we're, we're making the content ourselves. So that's, that's kind of a scary world for compliance people to be in. But yeah, exactly. Coming from a compliance mind. (laughs) No, I, I totally get it. You know, one thing I wanted to ask, so, you know, we kind of started, I, I kind of prefaced that, look, you know, uh, end-stage renal disease and a lot of these services have been around in Medicare for a long time. You know, I talked to a lot of people across the country and some, you know, you're probably familiar with the difference between an NCD and an LCD from Medicare. An NCD for our listeners is a national coverage determination. So it's some sort of policy of what's covered by Medicare and what's not, maybe certain codes or certain diagnoses at a national level. And the local MAC cannot really change if there's an NCD in place, they can't really come out with an LCD or a local coverage determination that that contradicts that NCD. And so I'm curious because these services have been such a core part or many of these services have been such a core part of the Medicare program for decades. Are there really NCDs that define a lot of this versus LCDs? Or do you know of a lot of local coverage determinations that may vary from from jurisdiction to jurisdiction? Oh, CJ, I wasn't prepared for this one. (laughs) Yeah, no, basically what I'm kind of asking is, you know, you you mentioned kind of CMS as um, not having a lot of clarity. I was just curious if you knew, you know, like what policies are you following? So like when you go to CMS, are, are you going to kind of your local Mac or, or it's is not it even, it's not even on that level yet. It's, okay. it's so new that it's just coming like straight from CMS, CMMI. Like it hasn't even trickled down yet. I feel like gotcha. as far as like, um, resources and references and everything. Like if we have a question, we have to ask CMS directly. There's, there's no further clarification from the max or anything as far as value-based care goes. Yeah. What about non-value-based care? So like if, if we're looking kind of back at kind of the traditional stuff, when, when you're, you know, when you're referencing, you know, these codes and what Medicare will cover and won't and what you have to document, are those in more like maybe national CMS manuals or national policies, or do you see a mix of national plus local or? It's more national. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that would be the case. So like I do a lot of reviews where, 
you know, somebody, maybe it's a, a high cost drug, right? And uh, there's some, maybe a local policy and, and in Florida, that policy may be a lot different than what it is in California. And I, I suspected that with, with kind of nephrology types of services, because, you know, it's a, it's a core, you know, qualifying uh, condition for, to, to have Medicare, even if you're not 65, right? And so um, I, I figured they would have some pretty specific uh, kind of manuals or, or regs <laughs> at the national level. Yeah, yeah, definitely more national than uh, local. Yep, agree. Yeah, cool. Well, this has just been fascinating. You know, we're getting a little bit close to the end of our time. I always like to ask the guests, you know, what, you know, what things did we leave off? Is there anything maybe that we, as we were discussing, that came to mind of, of kind of last minute thoughts from your perspective on this really interesting topic of, of nephrology coding and billing? Um, I can't think of anything offhand. Um, this has been a great conversation, though. I really appreciated um, you listening and um, just asking these really uh, animated and vibrant questions about yeah. nephrology. I don't get this very often, so yeah, well, I'm happy to answer them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, some coders, there are some coding societies that like can specialize in certain areas. Like I know, you know, you can get to certification in cardiology or sort of. Are there those types of things? If people are interested, you know in learning more about, about nephrology coding, are there some more formalized um, classes or certifications that people get, or is that not really there yet? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I wish that there was because I feel like it's complicated enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, Kristen, it's been fascinating to get your insights into into nephrology, coding, and billing ins and outs. We really appreciate your expertise and your time. Thank you so much for participating. Yes, thank you. And thank you all to all of our listeners for, for listening to another episode. Uh, until next time, be safe, and, and hopefully you'll listen to our next episode. Take care, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.